Uh, so our senior pastor, uh, Greg Boyd, is away this morning. Um, there's a thing happening in the Twin Cities today called the Twin Cities Marathon. Did you guys know about this? That's today. Uh, so Greg was planning on running the marathon. There's only one problem. He forgot that he's old. So he's not running a marathon. He's walking it. Because that's how old people run marathons, I guess. And since he's not here, I can say smart aleck things about him. Please don't tell him. He is my supervisor. So, okay? That's between us. All right? Today I'm going to talk to you about community. Um, and I want to start off reading a little story from a great book about community. It's called Everyone's Normal Until You Get to Know Them Amen. by an author named John Ortberg. Um, he's, uh, he, this is what he writes in here. He says, there's a little volume called the All Better Book in which elementary school children try to solve some of the world's toughest problems. What to do about the ozone layer and global warming, how to help people stop smoking, you know, things that are really hard. Here's the toughest one, the toughest problem that these elementary school kids tackled. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. Don't you agree? So here's what these kids said. Here's some solutions. People should, this is Kalani, she's age eight. People should find lonely people and get their name and address. And then they should find people who aren't lonely and get their name and address. And when you have an equal amount of each of them, assign the lonely people to the not lonely people using the newspaper. Yeah, all right, that's a good one. Here's another one. Um, Max, age nine, said, we should make food that talks to people when they eat. For instance, it could say, how are you doing? Or what happened to you today? I'm not eating that food, right? Uh, Here's Matt, age eight. He says, we could get people a pet or a husband or a wife that would take them places. The most touching response, the one that can break your heart, comes last. Brian, age eight, said, you can sing a song, you can stomp your feet, you could read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these. Sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these. Um... Today, uh, I want to talk to you about our church's vision for community. And it's not going to be a real complicated teaching sermon. Like, for instance, um, there's no Greek today. There's no Hebrew today. Uh, No Latin or any other language that Greg might invent words from, right? Having a PhD like he does. There's no complicated philosophy um, because it's actually real simple and also real hard. So today we're just going to talk about the simple, hard vision that we have for community. One of the biblical writers said, without vision, people perish. Now what that means, it doesn't mean like if you stop seeing, you fall over dead, or if you lose track of kind of where you're headed in life, that your heart will stop beating. It doesn't mean that literally, but you and I both know that when people lose a vision for their future or their life, a little bit of them dies every day after day after day. You know who's the most susceptible of dying for a lack of vision? Churches. Churches die for a lack of vision all the time. So today I want to share with you a little bit about our vision for community, which is going to be really hard. Do you want to know why it's going to be really hard? There are some things that we as a church are awesome at. We've been great at from the beginning. And there are some some things that our church has struggled with that we've struggled with from the beginning. And this is one of those things. So they gave it to the new guy to talk about, (laughs) right? Um, Now, 
one of the hard parts about community here at Woodland Hills, let's just name it, right? We're a church of 2,000 people now. Um, it's hard to build community with 2,000 people. I'm just going to say it straight out. It's hard. We're not the only church that struggles with this. There's another pastor of a church in Chicago, a really big church. I heard him talk about the same challenge that they were having as a church. He's been leading that church. He started it as a youth pastor. He's been leading it for 40 years. And he said, like, it's been the constant question. Um, after his sermons, he made a commitment that he'd come stand down on the side of the stage, and he would talk and pray with everyone that came until they were all gone. Just a little side note, all the teachers here make that same commitment. When a sermon is over, if you want to talk to us or want to get prayed for, not only is there a prayer team that will be down here, but the speaker will be down here. We'll stay as long as you'll stay. Um, we'll lock up the building. Um, so he was, he was talking about how he would be down in the front of the stage and people would come and he said so many people would come and they'd say like, I'm struggling to find community. I love the worship service. The teaching and the music and the art, it's amazing. I love the church. I can't seem to get connected. What can I do? And he said in the early days, he would tell them to find a small group. They had a big small group structure. You had to sign an agreement to not miss, and they had Bible studies. And he said, I would tell people to go to the group. But he said the smart ones would look at me and say, no thanks. And he's like trying to figure out why. And I said, well, here's the thing. Like I came to a worship service of a couple thousand people. Now you want me to go like sit down with 10 people around a kitchen table and tell them my deepest sin? No thanks. That's like asking me to get engaged on the first date. I'm not going to do it, right? But after a while, he realized like after telling people that it, it wasn't working, more people were coming to try to get connected and it wasn't working. He said finally he got mad and he just started being sarcastic with people. People would come up and say, I'm looking to get connected. He'd say, you can't do it. There's no way. We actually don't allow it as a church. <laughs> and I'd say, wait a second. You're yanking my chain, right? And he'd say, no, here's an idea. Um, he said, you just should go out in the lobby after the church service and just look lonely. Maybe someone will feel sorry for you and start to connect with you. So that's, that's a bad idea. I don't recommend that you do that. Or he said, no, here's another even better idea. Get in your car, and after the service, you should just follow the car in front of you to wherever they go for lunch or whether they go home. And when they get out of the car, you should accost them and say, do you want to be in a small group with me? And then towards the end of him talking about this, he just said, I've put 40 years of my life into building this church. And I oversee lots of staff people, and it's, it's, a, it's a church with a broad vision and a wide network. And he said, finally, God tapped me on the shoulder and said, Bill, if someone's going to do something about this, it's going to be you. And that's what he's doing. Because the thing about community is it's really important. 80% um, of people that seek out some kind of therapy or counseling, you know, the, the number one reason 80% of people look for counseling, it's one thing. It's loneliness. It's like the disease of our culture. See, it's not just important for us to get together in Bible studies. Community is something that our society is longing for. The, the church should be the place where we get this right. Um, and actually, uh, so another section out of this book, they did a study on the effects that human connection has on human beings. It was called the Alameda County Study. Um, it's the most thorough research project on relationships that's ever been done. It was by a Harvard social scientist. It tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. So think about that. 7,000 people, nine years they tracked these people. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those people who had strong relational connections. 
Um, so if you want to live, you better find connections here at Woodland or you're going to die, okay? <laughs> now, people who had bad health habits, things like smoking, poor eating, obesity, high blood pressure, alcohol use, those kind of bad habits, people who had those bad habits but had strong social relationships, they lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli by yourself. It's a fact. It's scientific. So the Harvard researcher, he notes that if you belong to no social groups, you should join one because if you join one, you cut your chance of dying in the next 12 months in half. It like, shouldn't be a mystery to us. God has created us for a longing for community. And when we don't have it, things aren't right. Now, there's another study in that same journal. 276 volunteers this time were infected with a virus that produces the common cold. Where do they find these people? 276 people said, yeah, give me the virus, right? Bring it on. The study found that people with strong emotional connections, they did four times better fighting off the illness than those who were more isolated. These people with social connections, they were less susceptible to colds, they had less viruses, and they actually produced significantly less mucus than relationally isolated people did. I'm not making this up, it's scientific. Um, which means that it is literally true that unfriendly people are snottier than other people. It's scientifically true, right? I know, it's terrible, right? It's terrible. All that to say we know, like, you, you, you were made to love people and to be loved by people. You were created to care for people and to receive care when you needed it. You were made to live in meaningful connection with other people. And it's not a mystery that you're like this. It goes all the way back to the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. When God first created human beings, God didn't say, I'm going to create humans in my own image. It said, we are going to create humans in our own image. Before we got here, there was already the perfect community, Father, Son, and Spirit. So when God went to create you, he created and wired you to participate in that community. And it's no wonder that in isolation, both in our culture and sadly enough in our churches, people are living without it. And I just want to say that Woodland Hills believes it shouldn't be so. It shouldn't be so. A couple weeks ago, we were going to have a, a, a fairly famous blogger and author come speak at our church. She got really sick. And if you were here, you got stuck with me. One of the things I talked about was a Pew Research study that got done that talks about the young people leaving the church in record numbers. And even though I've never farmed myself, I've barely been on a farm except when I absolutely had to. I said, there's like, I learned that there's two ways that you can keep cattle on your farm or keep sheep. One of them is to build a fence. And I said, I know lots of churches that are trying to build fences around their young people and it's not working. They're making their way out. And I said that there's a better way, which is to dig a well. Because the animal's got to drink. If there's ever a well that Woodland Hills needs to dig deep, it's the well of community. When there's so much isolation around us and inside of us. 
I just want to pause for a second. Uh, I don't know if you all know this in the room. I think that you do. Do you know that thousands upon thousands of people podcast this worship service every week? It's an immense encouragement. Every week people are visiting. I met a couple from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and one from Denver who said this ministry has been immensely helpful for them. So I just want to take just a second and address those of you who are watching by podcast. I want you to know that today we're talking as a church about something that we have to do better here within our community. But I'm guessing that we're not alone. I'm guessing podcasters where you are, we've heard from a number of you, you're longing for kingdom community. Some of you are spending yourself in building it in radical kingdom ways. And we both want to encourage that and want to be honest about what's challenging about that for us, that maybe there's something that could be helpful for you and your communities as you're leading those. Now, I just hit my four-month anniversary being on staff at Woodland Hills, so I made it through my 90-day review without getting fired. Now, now I'm trying to make it to my six-month review. After that joke about Greg being old, I think it might be on the fence here. Um, so I think a lot of you know that I had been, uh, been planting a church for five years, uh, called Third Way, not, not too far away from here. Um, now, that church wasn't like this church, and that that church is really small. Like this section right here, whatever you guys would be, section 104B, <laughs> row, you know, like this, this is third way right here, you like 50 to 60 people. Now, there's a couple things that you should know about that. One is um, being a pastor means that you both, like, you have a job at a church that you're also part of the church, and that can be a little complicated. Uh, pastors and congregations oftentimes have odd relationships with each other, uh, and mine wasn't totally different. On one hand, actually, my job of being that pastor wasn't going great, and at the end, I just said, God, if you want to do something else with my gifts in my life, I'm open to it, and miraculously, God led me here to Woodland Hills, and I just want you to know, I love my job here. I love it here. Um, it's an immense gift. I don't take it lightly that you all sacrifice um, to empower me to do the work that I'm doing here, and I want you to know I'm doing it on your behalf. On the other hand, um, I pastored a group of 40 or 50 people that I loved. They were like family to me. They were my brothers and sisters. And coming here to work at Woodland Hills has been immensely hard for me. So I'm not preaching about community because it's a good idea theologically or because the Greek says that we should. I'm talking to you about building community because I don't currently have it here, and I need it. I can't live without it. It's something that we as a church have to do well at. And I know from talking to people, I'm not the only one who's looking for it, longing for it. The message, the sermon title is called Building Community. Because unlike um, our American society, like, it's, it's totally truthful that Walmart was born in America. Do you want to know why Walmart was born in America? Because in America, we love cheap crap quick. It's like, what? We just love it, right? So, like, Walmart is like our store. And so, so many times we go to churches, right? We can go to churches that are big churches, and we can expect that we're going to find community quickly, and I just want to tell you, if you want cheap, crap community, that can happen quickly. But if you want kingdom community, there's only one way that you get it. And I have bad news for you and good news. You have to build it. you got to build it. There's an amazing story in the Old Testament about a character who's one of my favorites. If you serve in any kind of leadership capacity, here at Woodland or maybe in your work or school, you should totally read the book of Nehemiah. It's an amazing story about a leader who got called to do something really, really challenging. 
He had to lead his people who had been kicked out of their town. Their town had been destroyed. And he had to lead them back to their town to rebuild it. But they had to rebuild it while people were still trying to destroy them. You know how hard that is? You know how hard it is to try to build something when other people are trying to tear it apart? It's super hard. This is an amazing picture. So one of the things that Nehemiah does is he gets people lined up. He gives them each a section. Like, Nehemiah is a great leader because he knows, like, you can't rebuild a giant project unless you break it down into small pieces and give everybody a job. That's a great lesson for a church to learn. We can do almost anything if everybody gets a job. So everybody got a section, and they were building the wall with one hand. And you know what was in the other hand? A sword. I want you to know that building community at Woodland Hills will be exactly like that. We have to build with one hand, and we have to fight like crazy with the other one. There's one character in our world who's thrilled that people are isolated. There's one character who gets immense joy and celebration out of knowing that there's an eight-year-old boy who sometimes has to stomp his feet or read a book because he doesn't feel loved. And did you know that that character is hell-bent on destroying our lives? So one of the things I appreciate about Woodland Hills is like all of our solutions don't come from our own ingenuity and that we're not ever fighting against human flesh and blood enemies. Never, never, never. Our fight is much more difficult and mysterious because it's against principalities and powers and rulers and authorities. And do you know what they'd love to do at Woodland Hills? They would love to destroy this church. And so there's two things that we have to do. Everybody's got to find a section and start building, and everyone has to take up a sword and fight. There's another thing I want you to know about building community is that it takes time. You know, me and that little church, third way of 50 people, it didn't start that way. It was year after year after year of like fun memories that we made and hard conversations and heartbreak, the kind of things that make great families also make great churches. It takes time. Okay, I just want you to imagine this. Let's say we said like, okay, we really need to build more community at Woodland Hills, so we're going to hire somebody. And let's say Jesus happened to submit his resume for our job of community builder at Woodland Hills, right? We would hire him, right? Yeah, I, I, I would say that we should do that. So let's say Jesus is going to come here to work. You know how long it would take him to work at it? Like, just think about this. Jesus did build a community. He gathered 12 guys. He invited them to leave their jobs, to follow him. And he took guys from different walks of life, some who strongly disagreed with each other, you know? Like, um, no, not even going to go there. Let's just say they disagreed with each other. Uh, and he put them together in a little community and spent three years investing in them every day, 24-7. And at the end of that three years, they were only a little bit further than when they started, you know? The thing that Jesus taught his disciples and the thing that we could learn over again is that it takes time, but you got to take the next step. What is it that Jesus asked these guys to do? He said, just follow me. We're going to go this way. Now, I've spent lots of time working in large churches, especially ones that had small group programs. And I just have to tell you about a little disappointment that I had when I was involved in churches like this. The first time I discovered churches that did a program called small groups, um, one of the pitches that they made is they would say like, hey, we want to help you find a small group because you're going to find a place to get intimate and raw with people in small groups. And then we would like sign up and get grouped together with some people that we didn't know. And I have to tell you, almost all the time with that, I was a little bit disappointed 
because I had this expectation that we were going to be intimate, and that wasn't really the case. And actually, I want to point out, uh, there's a little book that got written. It's called The Search to Belong by a guy named Joseph Myers. This is as intellectual as we're going to get. It's going to be short and over really quickly, but I just have to show it to you, okay? So get ready to put your thinking caps on just for a second. I drew a little image up here that would help us. It's in a complicated graphic design program called a whiteboard. Yeah. Now, one of the challenges that we have when we think about community, partly because we're so lonely as a society, we put high and heavy expectations on what community life looks like, which means there's always like a promised land of community, a place of intimacy. And I just want to tell you, like, help us maybe settle into the fact that like building community is difficult and it happens across the spectrum, okay? Now, there's, uh, there's four different ways that people feel connected. This is a study that they did asking people their sense of belonging within an organization. And one of the surprising results was that it was important for people to feel connected across each different level of socially of their organization or even of their own life. Okay? So if you look all the way to the left, did you know that it's actually an important part of community life that people feel connected publicly? Like in a large group, people feel like part of a movement. Now, for instance, I don't know if you know this, but I lived in Chicago before I moved to St. Paul. In Chicago, I fell in love with the best baseball team on the planet, mostly because Jesus loves this team better than any other team. And the reason why Jesus loves this team is because it says that he came for the brokenhearted and the poor, the oppressed, the ones who've been downtrodden. You all know who I'm talking about. The team that's been losers for more than a century, the Chicago Cubs. I'll have you know this last week, the heavens opened and the Cubs are going to go to the playoffs. A few months back, I took my kids to their first Cubs game. And I have to tell you, even though I was in an auditorium or in a, at a baseball stadium with 40,000 people, there was a sense that we were one, you know? You know, you can build community in a big room like this. Did you know that? You totally can. Do you know how you do it? Just like one conversation at a time. We can't neglect the fact that like all together when we're worshiping together here, we can and do build community. Now, I want you to know, I'm going to come back to the illustration in just a minute. I want you to know that I come in here during the week, and I, I sometimes pray in this room when it's all empty. I kind of love it. Um, I don't know if you know this, but like the main part of my job is to help oversee the weekend services. Uh, I, love, I love helping put services together. It's a ton of fun for me. I enjoy it. Um, there's one part about it that's hard for me, and it's usually actually being up here. Because when I look out in the auditorium, I want you to know I, I see all your faces, which is part of what I love about the new seating arrangement. Even if you hate it, I'm so sorry, but I love it. It's great. I can see your faces. Uh, but you know, the other thing that I see is I see empty chairs. And empty chairs are a little bit of a heartache for me. Um, in fact, when I go through and pray, I actually pray for the day when there's no empty chairs. Do you know that it's in Woodland Hills history when there didn't used to be any empty chairs? It was a standing room only kind of a church. I totally need you to know, I'm looking forward to that day again. It's part of the vision here. It's part of my vision. Um, now, I also know at the same time that some of you might be praying actively against that. And let me explain why. Some of you might look at your section like it's the economy section on a Delta flight. And I know what you do if there's an empty seat next to you. If you're like me, you pray that no one sits there so you can stretch out, you slide over, let alone if there's two empty seats and you can lay down, right? Let's not look at our rows like a Delta flight, okay? 
Here's one of the reasons why. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus told a story. Um, he told a story about a master who wanted to throw a big banquet. And he was a smart master, so what he did is he divided his servants up into, into two different crews. The one was the party planning committee. The other was the invite committee. So half of them spent their time uh, cooking the food and getting the feast ready, putting out tableware, getting the Spotify playlist just right between jazz and contemporary, you know, and making sure that the party was going to be amazing, the food was going to be great. The other crew, it was their job to send out the invites. So they invite all the master's friends. The time of the party is coming close, and the servants who are on the invite committee go to the master. They got bad news. Master, your friends are bailing on your party. The master's like, oh, this isn't going to work. I got a great feast up here for people. What can I do? He said, okay, I, I invited my close friends. Like, go out in, into town and invite some of the townspeople. Like, it's better that they eat the meal. It was really important to the master that the food not go to waste. They invite people. They fill it up some, but they say, Master, sorry, there's still going to be empty seats. Master said, I can't tolerate empty seats. Go outside of the town, the people who really shouldn't be at the master's party, and invite any warm body who wants to sit down at a meal. Get them here to come, because it would be a tragedy if we wasted this meal. I want you to know the reason why empty seats make my heart ache just a little bit Hundreds of hours go into every weekend service here. Did you know that? Between musicians who practice for 20 hours a week to get ready for this, to kids' workers, to greeters, to folks straightening chairs and stuffing bulletins, hundreds of hours every week. The party planning committee does their work every week. You know what committee you're on? You're on the invite committee, right? Here's the thing. How many people do you rub shoulders with that need to get a different picture of God? How many people do you rub shoulders with that need to find the kind of community that would be fulfilling and lead them away from loneliness? How many people? Like, let's not let any of it go to waste. Okay, we can totally build community as a large church together, like one segment, one section at a time, right? Now, the next category is social relationships. Um, like, this is a group of about 50 to 90. And the reason why this is important, and l let me sort of go back to the picture of a small group. Like, I don't know about you, but if I went to a large church like this with 2,000 people, and then I came up to someone and said, hey, how do I get connected? And they said, why don't you sign up to meet every single week to talk about your darkest sins with 10 people that you don't know? Do you know what I would say? <laughs> You're crazy. I'm never going to do that. However, don't I need that? I want you to know that I do. But the problem is I have to choose it. Like, I'm looking for a place where I can make appropriate friendships. Now, I don't know what you're like. I don't like going to social functions that are parties for two reasons, because I have a little bit of social anxiety, because I am a controlling person. That's a little bit of a confession for you. Please don't use that against me later in a, in a critical email. You told us you were controlling, right? But the second reason why is because I don't like to make small talk. So, like, social parties are hard for me. I'm, like, trying to find people to talk to. Do you know how meaningful it is to me when someone walks up to me and engages me in a conversation in a social setting because I'm frozen? Like, that happens all the time. The courage to, like, walk across the room to meet someone. That's not, that's not a small thing, building friendship and reaching out like that. That kind of thing happens in the gathering area all the time around those tables. People just extending a hand of friendship is important. Now, 
personal. You do need 10 or 12 people who you can really walk together with and share personally with. But you know the truth of the matter is like there's probably only two, three, or four people over your whole life that you will be intimate with. And the only reason I say that is because I think it's good for us as a church to have healthy expectations. That building community as a church means building it here. It means building it in small groups. It means looking for something as old-fashioned as an accountability partner. Anyone ever heard of that? That's a kingdom thing to do, you know? We need community. It doesn't all come from one place. Now, I just have to tell you. All right, we can pull that slide down now, guys. I have to tell you that we as a church have a problem. This is why they assigned the rookie to this sermon, okay? We got around 2,000 people who worship with us on a weekend. And we totally need to build community in this room, and we can. But this room also has limits, you know? Now, on the other end of the spectrum, I have to tell you, one of the reasons why I love working at this church is because this church is radical. And I don't mean that like a seventh grade, junior high, awesome word kind of a way. I mean radical, you know, the, the, the meaning of that word radical means back to the roots. One of the things I love about this church is we're back to the roots of what did Jesus really mean or intend when he shaped Christianity? When Jesus said we're supposed to love our enemies, this church thinks that he meant it. When Jesus said the dividing wall of hostility between people in different racial and social classes has been torn down and we should act like it, Jesus totally meant that. I love the fact that I go to a church that racial reconciliation isn't on a back burner somewhere. It's on the front burner at this church. I totally, yeah, now we're preaching, right? Um, and we actually have a group of people uh, uh, who for a couple years have been building community in something called Sojourners. You may have heard of it. It's a group of people who have said, like, we think that community and pulling together in community means that we should challenge each other towards living the kingdom radically, which means we should be devoted to each other, we should spend time together, we should hold each other accountable, we should be reaching out together. It's, did you know it's so challenging to join this community? It takes you a year to get in? Like, that's pretty amazing. Do you know how many people have done it? About 120. Praise God for those 120. However, we have a problem, okay? How many people worship at our service on a weekend on average? I just said it. How many? About 2,000 people who worship together. And then in Kingdom Radical Community, we have how many? 120. That's a giant gap. And I want you to know that we have to close it. We have to close it. Now, uh, a couple years ago... Um, me and my best friend, we, uh, we, live in, we live in the Hamlin Midway neighborhood, and we saw this little coffee shop that was in our neighborhood that was, that was failing. And um, so I looked at it, and I was like, we should step in and help this thing out. Like, how hard could it be, right? And I found out it's really hard. So <laughs> we bought it, and I've been working on that project for a long time. But one of the things I learned in my experience over the past few years, and I've been kind of thinking about for most of my life, is that I realized that I'm a builder of things. I love taking something that's not working and helping to make it work. I'm like a builder. Um, I have a little bit of a pioneering spirit in me. I don't think I'm the only one in this room that has that. Um, If you're a builder or a pioneer, I want you to think about this for one second, okay? Maybe for your job, you're like in a leadership role or like you, you, you built a business or an organization or a nonprofit. You know what I'm talking about. You have building and pioneering skills. I want you to know, do you know where those came from? They came from the master. 
He gave those to you. And I want you to know that I'm, uh, right away I'm just going to say it. Like I don't want to get any emails about this section of the sermon. If your heart burns, it's up to you and God. I don't want to get an email. I won't respond to it. I just want you to know it will be really sad for you to get to the end of your life and for God to say, hey, remember those skills I gave you to be a pioneer and to build something? What did you build for me? It'd be terrible for you to get to the end of your life and realize you used those building and pioneering skills to build stuff for you. The thing is, guys, we have this gap, and we need some builders and some pioneers. And I'm asking you, if you do this for work, would you do it equally for your church? Some of you might say, like, oh, I was a pioneer in the early days of Woodland Hills, and so for 10 or 15 years, I helped pioneer stuff. But now... um, my family, every once in a while in California, we would go on vacation. In California, it's hot, so if you're going to go on vacation in, in Southern California, you just pick a hotter section of California. So we would go to Palm Springs. So hot. And one of the crazy things about Palm Springs is there's a lot of old people there because it's so hot. And then I realized there's a lot of you that will go to Palm Springs in the summer because it's so hot. One of the ridiculous things about Palm Springs is no one drives cars. They drive golf carts everywhere but they try to make their golf carts look like real cars. Isn't that ridiculous? (laughs) Because most of those people are on retirement. And I just want to say, in the kingdom of heaven, there's no such thing as retirement. We We can't afford retirement. So maybe you'd say like, hey, I was part of another church and I spent a lot of time. And it's okay that people come here, pioneers and builders come here and rest for a little while. But after you rest for a little while, you just need to know, your church needs you. If you're a pioneer or a builder, we got to close this gap. Now, I am a pioneer and a builder. I'm new here and looking for community. And I want you to know that this gap of community, this thing we have to build, isn't just your problem. It's mine too. And I want you to know, in a couple of weeks for the form series, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to kick off these things called table groups. They're going to meet here at the building, so it's a little bit safer. They're going to meet for six weeks. It's one way that you can take a next step of community. And I'm not going to wait for someone to offer it to me. I've, I signed up to be a table facilitator, just hoping they can find five other people willing to be in a group with me. That's my main concern now. Um, you know, some of you need to sign up for those groups. Some of you need to step up and lead. And I know you might be scared of it, but that's okay. Who hasn't been scared to step up and do something meaningful? When is that not part of it? Those of you who know that God's calling you to do that, we need you to do that. To sit at a table and invite five people to step out of their loneliness, not to intimacy. We're not going to ask you to get intimate with each other. We're going to ask you to build friendship with each other. If you're here and you don't have connections, I'm asking you, would you take your next step up and sign up to be part of one of these groups? Like, we're going to have to build community one step at a time. I want you to know that, like, there's also ways to build community by serving together. And, in fact, in your bulletin, there's a little handout like this, ways to serve. I just want you to know, like, we don't have a million of them. We have a lot of pioneering work to do. But this is what we have now. And I'd say this, it's enough. It's enough for you to be able to take a next step. On the back are some classes that you can take, like, Back to that story in Nehemiah. The story in Nehemiah is a heroic story. At the end of that, they end up dancing and singing and celebrating up on the wall because they did it. You know, they did it. Everybody 
In their right hand was building, and in their left hand they had a sword. And when it goes through and lists the people that were building, some of them make a lot of sense, you know? Like when we think of people who can build walls and fight, we think of strong people. Do you know one of the people who was building and fighting, do you know what their job was? They were perfume makers. Perfume makers can build and fight. You want to know why? Because in Nehemiah, it took everybody. And I just want to say, because I can, because I'm the new guy, if we are going to build community at Woodland Hills Church, if we're going to create a place where loneliness doesn't exist, it's going to take everybody, from pioneers to perfume makers. I'm asking everybody in the room, would you ask God to show you your next step? There's only one way that we do it, which is one brick at a time. Okay? Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. If you have a need that you'd like to get prayed for, uh, if, you're, if, you're, if your next step of loneliness is stepping out of isolation and starting a relationship with Christ, I want you to know that's the place to start. That's what this community is built on. These folks, uh, the prayer folks would be up here and would love to pray with you. Okay, let me say a prayer. God, you exist in community, have created us for community, and you've also given us the work of building it. We don't just get to receive it. I pray for everyone in the room that you would teach and show and give us guidance and courage to take the risk, to take the next step. I pray everybody in this service would take a step and that together, under your leadership, by your example, we would build the kind of community that would be a deep well of living water to the people of the Twin Cities. For those who are podcasting, I pray that they would be digging a well of community all over the country and around the world, and that rivers of living water would flow in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.